Shall we pray? God, we are thankful that we could be here this morning. Um, we are always thankful when we can wake up in the morning and have a chance of a new day, of a new experience, of a new start. And now as we just focus in for a few moments on the written word, on the spoken word, God, we pray that you would um, keep our attention um, fully on what it's trying to teach us this morning. We pray that you would open our hearts to this teaching. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I know for some of you, the Advent candles are something foreign. And I know that for some of you, Advent and, and the fact that we are, oh, I didn't realize the kids were still picking up the offering. Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm not trying to hurry them up. <laughs> um, I know that for some of you, it is a foreign concept that as Seventh-day Adventists, we are celebrating and observing the season of Advent because traditionally, it has been understood as something that is Catholic. And, and as good Adventists, um, we generally tend to shy away or stay clear of something that might have a Catholic connotation. Um, but this morning, I, I assure you, there is... Um, we are not being Catholic. Um, they're just candles. And, um, but, but candles represent something. The scripture is filled with symbols. Isn't that true? The scripture is filled with symbols. As Seventh-day Adventists, we, we do what is called what? The foot washing on communion Sabbath. Because why? Because it's a symbol of something bigger. We eat bread and we drink juice because it's what? It's a symbol of something else. When we light these candles, please understand. And, and, and I've, I want to be very sensitive to some of you because I know that you might have a hard time with it. But please understand, the colors, the purple signifies penitence. It's our attention to this, the sorrow that we have for being sinners. So the purple is a darker color. As we get closer to, to, the, to the fifth Sabbath of Advent, which is Christmas Day this year, the candles get lighter, so they go from purple to pink. The idea is that the closer we get to the arrival of Christ, the more joy we will have in our hearts. Isn't that true? Have you ever been waiting for somebody? Have you ever been waiting for somebody perhaps at a coffee shop and you're waiting for somebody for a meeting? Maybe you're waiting for, for your love and you're waiting and you're waiting. And the more you wait, I mean, you don't care that you're waiting because you have this eager expectation that when they get there, you will, you, you will be glad to see them. The candles signify that we are in eager expectation of the coming Christ. The candles are just a visual representation for us to remember because we are visual people, right? Which is why I, I, I have this every single Sabbath. Because I know that this will help you to, to, to stay focused and to pay attention to what the scriptures are teaching us. This is just a reminder that Jesus is coming, that the king will return and we will rejoice. A common theme in the scriptures is this theme of rejoicing. When times are good, what do we do? We rejoice. When times are bad, we are called to rejoice. When times are just ordinary and blah, we are called to rejoice because as long as you have breath, there is cause for rejoicing. You know, we are thick, thick in the holiday season. Thanksgiving has come and gone. Some of us have been eating leftovers for days, even the last week. But now we look forward to what? Christmas. It's okay. You can look forward to Christmas. I hope I haven't made you feel like you can't. But now we look forward to Christmas. 
Now, is it just about Christmas Day, Christmas morning that we're looking forward to? Or is it the experience of leading up to Christmas? It's the experience, right? This week, we set up our Christmas tree. Um, I decided, as the man of the house, that I would go and buy a Christmas tree this week. To which Kim said, you know it's probably going to die. And she says, as long as you keep putting water in the tree, it will what? It should be okay. I've kept forgetting, but it's still alive. Because I'm excited about the Christmas season. I'm excited about the music. So when we were setting up the Christmas lights, um, Kylie, our oldest, asked, can I, put, can I put Christmas music on now? I want the Christmas music because there's something about music that makes everything better. And we're going out and we're shopping for gifts and we're getting gifts for different people. And, you know, we, um, every year Kim has the kids take pictures with special clothes to commemorate Christmas. And so it's this, it's not just about the day. It's about the experience that is leading up to this day. Because the gifts are fun to open. There's this anticipation. Am I going to get what I asked for? And so we're waiting and we're waiting. Maybe this is more for kids, but I have a feeling that it's for us adults as well. Advent is about the experience that leads up to Christmas morning. Now, last week, I preached the sermon, and I would encourage all of you to forget it. <clears throat> because the more I thought about it, the more I realized I made very little sense in what I was saying. It was one of those sermons, and I can be honest with you because you're my friends, it, it, it was one of those sermons, and, and I've spoken to a couple of you, where you just decide... I'll just stop right here and, and just let it be over. For some reason, I wasn't, there was something that just wasn't right. And, I, and as I thought about it more and more, I just realized, you know what? Let's start from the beginning because this morning I want to talk to you a little bit more about what Advent is. It is a time of active expectation of the second coming of Christ where we, where we must actively be living out the way of Jesus. When we wait, it's not just wait and sit back until Jesus comes, but it's that we must be actively waiting. We must be actively doing something as we wait for the coming Christ. And there's, here's an excerpt. It is the hope of ancient Israel. As they were freed from Egypt, it is the hope, however faint at times, that God, however distant he sometimes seems, which brings the world anticipation of a king who will rule with truth, and justice and righteousness over his people and his creation. It is a time, however distant God may seem, however far he may feel, it is still a time where we eagerly expect the one who will rule justly. It is that hope that once anticipated and now anticipates anew the reign of an anointed one, a Messiah, who will bring peace and justice and righteousness to the world. Isn't that what we want? Whenever you've been wronged, what do you call for? Justice. Wherever you have fallen and have sinned, what do you call for? Righteousness. Where there is turmoil, where there is pain in your life, what do you call for? Peace. These five weeks of Advent, we are actively remembering and anticipating the coming of Christ. It is what we call an active expectation as opposed to a passive expectation. So here's a little, here's a little I guess, grammar syntax lesson. I don't even know how to explain it. If you're passive, something is happening to you, but the scriptures, we are called to be active. 
And so the question that we ask then this morning, and the question that I hope by now you have learned to ask, is what does life, what does life look like as we wait? Because we hear preachers up here all the time talking about Jesus is coming soon, Jesus is coming soon, but you know that the more you hear something, what happens the more you hear something? It loses its meaning. And so we could stand up here since the time I was, I mean, since the time that I can remember, I've heard pastor after pastor telling me that Jesus is coming soon. What happens, though, is that it loses its meaning more and more because we're just like, well, he's coming soon, but now I'm 30 years old, and I, I mean, obviously it's closer because time keeps moving, but it, life still seems the same. And so the question then is, however long we wait, what must our life look like as we wait? And so... I want to call your attention to Hebrews chapter 12. And this is the writer of Hebrews, still kind of contested. We're not 100% sure who wrote the book, but they were brilliant. And this is what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what that means is there is the stories of the Bible. If you read the book of Hebrews, it is a book of who's who in in the life of faith, like who are the people who have had so much faith? And so the cloud of witnesses is simply saying the stories in the scriptures that you have heard. That is the cloud of witnesses. It says, so since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before Christ? That you would have eternal life. So that's what Jesus' goal was. And with that in mind, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the call. This is, in essence, a battle cry to the faithful. That no matter what happens, do not grow weary or faint-hearted because this is not the end. Life, as you know it, will continue into eternity and it will be worth eternity even though you go through the difficulties in life right now. I know, I know that things can be difficult, but for the writer of the Hebrews, he says, do not grow weary or faint-hearted. For the founder and the perfecter of your faith, he will help you endure. So what does it say? Lay aside every weight. There are things in each one of our lives that weighs us down. When we pray, for some of you, it's the burdens of a past life that you lived that you are constantly reminded of. And so you feel like you somehow have to feel guilty and you have to feel wrong and you have to feel bad and you have to feel like you're just such a horrible sinner because that's the life that you lived. And yet the writer of the Hebrew says, he says, you have to lay aside those burdens. The Christian life, the life of faith, you cannot live the life of faith fully devoted to God while you're still carrying the burden of your past. For some of you, the burden is something that's happening right now. For some of you, the burden may be an addiction to something or to someone. For some of you, these burdens is it's the destructive tendencies that you find yourself doing day after day after day. For some of you, this weight 
can be your pride. You see, it's really easy for, for us as Adventists. We, we like to, whenever we, whenever we talk about sin and worldly stuff, we usually say, you know, drugs, alcohol, and smoking. But I know a lot of you, that's not your, that's not your weight. That's not your burden. And so what we have to do and what we have to pressure ourselves to do is to think about it. What is it in your life that is weighing you down, that is killing your spirit? What is it in your life that makes you not want to get out of bed in the morning? What is it in your life that makes you feel bad? Those things, God is telling you, leave those behind. You get one life to live. For those of you who are more advanced in age, please come alongside a young person and remind us you have one life to live. Make it count. Eternity, we have no idea what's going to happen in eternity, right? We don't. We make up stuff all the time. Well, I'm going to eat this kind of fruit, and I'm going to, well, you don't know. You could hope. But you have this life. God doesn't care about what you're going to do when you get to eternity. What God cares about is what are you doing today? Are you letting stuff get in the way of joy? And so, he says, lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. This is a call. To leave your sin behind. You know what it is in your life. I know what it is in my life. And every year, the 40 days leading up to Resurrection Sunday, which we call Easter, for 40 days, I do my very best to put to death some of these things that are weighing me down in the hope that just as Jesus was resurrected, I will be resurrected a new man and the things that I let, to be, the things that I let die for 40 days would stay dead for the rest of my life. They say 21 days it takes to make or break a habit. I figure if we go 40, that habit will be broken, no? I try to do that every single year, and I'm telling you this from my personal experience, and it has helped. And what does the Hebrew author of Hebrews say? Lay aside every weight, every burden, and run. Does this mean run away? I knew of some people once who um, told me that they were buying land somewhere in the country far removed from everything. Because when the end comes, they didn't want to be found in the cities. The problem I have with that, if you run and isolate yourself from people now, you're not doing what God is calling you to do. This isn't a call to run away. This is a call to charge into the world and make a difference. Have any of you ever read the book, um, Tuesdays with Maury? In it, and I may just imagine this because I look for it, but in it, I remember um, Maury telling the other guy, which I don't remember, uh, Albu, Mitch, telling him, when the culture stops working for you, it's time to create a new one. As Christians, aren't we called to transform culture? Aren't we called to be the catalyst of the world that we live in and make it part of the kingdom of heaven? I mean, you are called to be active participants now in the kingdom of God that is going on all around us. Paul, or rather, sorry, the writer of the Hebrews isn't saying run away to the mountains. That's being cowardly. Instead, he says run into. Jesus says that they will, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. 
there's no need to be afraid of Satan and his fallen angels because we're on the team that wins. We already know that. Haven't you ever recorded a football game or any kind of game or NASCAR or whatever, whatever sport is you're liking? You know, you already know who won, but you still want to watch it because you want to see your team win. I have a feeling that when God looks at things, it's kind of like, can you just realize for once you are on the winning side and there is no longer room for fear? It says, run, looking to who? Is it looking to your wife? Looking to your husband? Looking to your job that gives you six figures? Is it look to the house that you have or the car that you drive? What is the saying? Look to who? Because they understood that if you could keep your eyes focused on Jesus and if you allowed your love for Christ to compel you to live in this world in such a way that you would be like lights that shine, nothing else would matter. See, this is one of the difficult questions that you have to help use to analyze yourself. What are you looking at? Is your heart and mind and soul focused on Jesus? Or have you allowed it to focus on all the other bad stuff that's going on in your life? Because if you focus on the negative, what happens? You get really negative, you get really down, and you feel defeated. But when you run the race that God has placed us in, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, if you keep entrusting yourself to Jesus, you will finish the race. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Thanks, Paul. But only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. How many of you have ever entered some kind of competition hoping to come in second place? Any of you? One of you. Kind of defeats my point. When you enter a race or even, say, play Jeopardy, <laughs> we want to win. It's in our nature to want to win. And Paul says, you don't enter a race looking to come in second place. You come, you enter a race hoping to finish in first place. And when it comes to our life of faith, it says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. He's talking about the Olympics back in the day. These athletes, these runners, they want to win the wreath because if they win the wreath, then it's, they're the champions but we race for an imperishable prize. It's not saying that we gain entrance into eternity. It means that the life we live here actually matters, and it will extend into forever. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does, nor does, the, imper nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? 
See, for those who have perished, and for those of us who will perish before the return of the king, there is an old teaching that the day that people were waiting for wasn't, see, we, we sometimes as Adventists miss the point where we talk about the end of the world and we talk about the end is coming and the end is near and the end is coming, but for the people who the message came to at first, they would say, there is a day where the resurrection will happen, the great resurrection. That's a message of hope. That's a message of one day the impossible will happen and then we will reign with God. But when we focus on the message of the end is coming, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell, that's not very hopeful and promising. It kind of scares people. So the truth is we must learn to talk about the coming of the king, the coming of Christ, as a day of the great resurrection where the dead will be resurrected and where you and I, the faithful of Christ, those who have kept our faith, will be changed from mortal to immortal, from perishable to imperishable. It says in the twinkling of an eye this will happen and you have no say over when it is. You have no say over how it's going to happen other than now as the wise virgins, we must have oil vigilantly waiting for the coming king. We enter the race so that we can win. We enter this life of faith looking to Jesus, hoping and waiting eagerly for the coming king. And so life as we wait, I, have one, I think this is the last text. Paul writes, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build you up. Let no one seek his good, but the good of his neighbor. Now, this is a controversial saying of Paul. Life as we wait. He says, as a human, as someone who is free in Jesus, all things are lawful. What does it mean that something is lawful? It means that it's not against the law. It means, in essence... You can do whatever you want, but not everything you do will be helpful. Does that make sense? I know some of you are squirming in your seat saying, Pastor, what are you saying? I have a theory, and I'm working on, I've been working on this theory for a couple of years, just thinking about it, and here it is. As Seventh-day Adventists, and I can only talk about us because I am Seventh-day Adventist, never have been anything else. We are not comfortable with freedom. We don't want to know that we can do all things. No, no, no. We've been told we can't. And so we stick on the things that we cannot do because if we don't do these things, then we're going to be different from everybody else. And if we're different from everybody else, then we're going to be better. And we have to be better because we are the remnant of God. And to be the remnant of God, we have to be better than other people or at least have it more together. But to have it more together, we have to stick, stay away from doing certain things. But we have to stay away from certain things because we have to be better. And we have to be better because we are the remnant. And we have to be the remnant because we are the ones that get it. Do you begin to see it's a vicious cycle? It becomes a vicious cycle and we forget to focus on the hope of the coming Christ. This is a very powerful text because God says you have the freedom to do anything you want. I saw this commercial of a dog, and it's a dog, and it has like it, it does certain tricks. It got like a remote control, and it's a beautiful, cute puppy dog, and you can buy it, and it's a robot, and when you tell it to do something, it does it. 
Well, my family just inherited a dog a week ago. Two weeks ago, I thought that invention of the puppy was genius. Like, yeah, you can have a puppy without having to clean up after it. But now I have a puppy that doesn't listen to a word I try to tell it. But I love that dog so much. I'm not saying we're dogs, and I'm not saying we're animals. But if I can love this puppy that doesn't know how to communicate with me this much, how much more does God love you? This dog poos in my living room. He pooped in my room. He's not allowed upstairs anymore. He pooped in my office, in the house. He poops every, she poops everywhere. But I still love her. You see, the thing is, you have the freedom to do whatever you want to. You're human, right? You have free will. That's how God made you. But Paul says, but keep in mind, just because you can doesn't mean it's helpful. And just because you can do this doesn't mean it's going to build you up. You see, sometimes the bad things that we do are just things that we want for us. Like we're just selfish and we want to gratify ourselves and we want it now. And so we do it because we say, well, all things are lawful. Who cares? When you live your life like that, you miss the point. Can we just get that straight? When you live your life recklessly and however you want to, only gratifying yourself and your immediate need and you want instant gratification, when you live your life like that, because the Bible says all things are lawful, you've missed the point. What Paul is saying is we have the freedom of choice. You can choose and do, I mean, you have the freedom to be yourself and you can do whatever, but keep in mind that some of the things that you do will actually not build you up, they will tear you down. And when you do things that tear you down, deteriorate your body, tear you down um, physically, mentally, and your soul, when, though, when you do things that are going to tear you down, you are going to be living outside of the harmony of the way God created things to be. When you're living that far away, your desire and your need for God, it will dissipate in your mind because you'll say, well, I don't need God. All things may be lawful, and you may have the freedom to do all things, but it doesn't mean that they are good for you. Can we agree on that? Whoa. This is what it says. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. As we wait for the coming king, whether whatever you eat, whatever you do, whatever you see, whatever things you watch on television, whatever website you visit, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And so I want to finish with just a few quotes from the famous book, Steps to Jesus, a modern rendition of Steps to Christ. Have there not been some bright spots in your experience? Have you, had, have you not had some precious seasons when your heart throbbed with joy in response to the Spirit of God? When you look back into the chapters of your life experience, do you not find some pleasant pages? She's obviously talking about people that focus only on the negative. Are not God's promises like the fragrant flowers growing beside your path on every hand? Will you not let their beauty and sweetness fill your heart with joy? Are you a person that sees the glass half empty or half full? I think that I am naturally predispositioned to see the glass as half empty. And I have to battle daily to not let that control me. The briars and the thorns will only wound and grieve you. 
And if you gather only these things, these negative experiences, these bad things, and present them to others, are you not, besides light, slighting the goodness of God yourself, preventing those around you from walking in the path of light? This is speaking to me, and I hate it. I could have chosen to not use this in the sermon. But we always, for you to be a human being who examines yourself, you must always ask the questions that are going to be painful to you and force you to analyze yourself. I think this is the last one. It is, not, it is not wise to gather together all the unpleasant recollections of the past life. It's iniquities and disappointments. Remember the heavy weight that is weighing you down? To talk over them and mourn them until we are overwhelmed with discouragement. A discouraged soul is filled with darkness, shutting out the light of God from his own soul and casting a shadow upon the pathway of others. Life as we wait. Are you going to focus on the negative? Are you going to focus on the pain, which I know is very real in your lives? Okay, for some of you, I know. But if you only focus on that, you will cast a shadow of defeat on others or will, in eager expectation, will you cling to the hope and the promise of the coming Christ that when Jesus comes, he will make all things right and he will make all things new and you will be changed in the twinkling of an eye or you will be resurrected. The impossible will happen and we will reign the way we always were intended to reign. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we are bombarded by so many things in our lives, the negative, the dark, but this morning we pray that you would remind us as we look at the candles that hope is coming, that hope is here and that you are coming and that this is not the final story. Give us strength, give us encouragement. May we live to be the people you created us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.